In December 2015, Singapore's investment fund Temasek agreed to sell its shares in Neptune Orient Lines, or NOL, to French shipping line CMA-CGM. The board unanimously approved the transaction. For nearly 50 years, NOL was Singapore's national shipping line. Rising up from nothing to a top 15 shipping line, NOL reflected Singapore's rise in the global economy. But as the industry changed, the company's performance started to fall behind its competitors. Burdened with a high cost base and unable to invest in its future, NOL lost the ability to compete, and that would lead to its decline in eventual sale. In this video, we're going to take a deep look back at what had been a Singaporean national champion. But first, I would like to ask you to take a look at the Asianometry newsletter. The newsletter is a good companion to the Asianometry videos. I know that there is a lot of videos, so that is why I write the newsletters. Check them out for the full scripts, as well as additional commentary after the fact. I might also have some additional newsletters off-cycle in the future with my thoughts and ideas on things in the wider tech world. You can find the link to the newsletter in the video description below, or you can just go to asianometry.com. You can expect a new newsletter every Thursday at 1 a.m. Taiwan time. Much thanks. In the 1960s, the Singaporean economy was dominated by the manufacturing and service industries. Because exports and trade were so important to the economy, the government made the shipping industry a critical priority. They pursued two methods towards achieving that. The first was to open the Singapore flag register to foreign ship owners. The second was the founding of Neptune Orient Lines in 1968 as the country's national shipping line. NOL was founded just three years after the country's 1965 founding, same as Taiwan's Evergreen, and was wholly owned by the Singaporean government. Guided by then-Finance Minister Dr. Go Keng Sui, who pushed hard for its creation, Neptune aimed to build up a modern fleet that can compete with the world's best merchant shipping companies. A year later, in 1969, NOL bought its first two ships, the first from the German company Hansa, the 18-year-old Neptune Topaz, the second a tanker named Neptune Taurus from the Worldwide Shipping Group. They shortly thereafter started building their own ships as well. These early years were difficult. The company struggled to compete for high-value cargo customers in the competitive shipping market. NOL was very small and young. Its five-ship fleet was considerably smaller than that of its competitors. Their staff lacked experience and knowledge of how the market worked. The company also clashed with the Far East Freight Conference. The FEFC, as it was called, was an Asian-European cartel that controlled all the shipping routes between Europe and Asia and set their freight rates. NOL fought to gain entry and have a seat at the table in global trade. In 1969, the Singaporean government converted the loans it made to the company into equity and then transferred those shares to Temasek Holdings, a sovereign wealth fund. Neptune Orient's fortunes turned in the 1970s when the company decided to move into the container business. The success of that move allowed the company to modernize its fleet and compete for better business. Under the leadership of future Prime Minister Go Chok Tong, NOL turned its first profit in 1975. The company joined several shipping conferences to Australia and began gaining market share there. In 1981, NOL became the first Singaporean government-founded company to go public on the Singapore Stock Exchange. They raised $155 million, money that would be reinvested into the business. After the IPO, Temasek progressively sold down their holdings in NOL, but still held a big stake going into the 1990s, somewhere in the high 20s. 
it allowed them to hold significant influence. I should stop here to expand on the shipping industry and its business dynamics. Liner shipping companies are in the service of transporting goods across the world in massive high-capacity ships. Most of these things are in containers. Early on in the industry's history, the liner shipping companies were just that. They put things in their ships and transported them to their ports of destination. And their work ended there. And this was fine because the aforementioned shipping conferences were cartels that regulated freight rates and looked after everyone. If you were part of the club, then the freight rates kept you afloat. This changed in the 1980s when Evergreen Marine opened a fully containerized regular service from Asia to Europe. It broke the back of the century-old Far East Free Conference and shocked the shipping industry. Combined with increased antitrust scrutiny, the shipping conferences lost their influence and the industry began to deregulate. With deregulation comes competition. Container carriers could no longer count on regulated routes to always make money. Like with the airliner industry, companies began finding themselves in an increasingly competitive space. Shipping-only companies, thus, began expanding both horizontally and vertically in a bid to find advantages. Horizontally, shipping lines began buying bigger ships and each other. Larger ships are more fuel-efficient and have economies of scale. Samsung was one of the first companies to show that a ship with carrying capacity of 12,000 20-foot equivalent units, or TEU, on the Europe to Asia route is 11% more cost-efficient per container slot compared to an 8,000 TEU ship. This is 23% better compared to a 4,000 TEU ship. Second, shipping lines began looking vertically to take control of more of the shipment's journey. They sought to become more than just shipping companies, but general logistics companies. It allowed them to take more of the margin for shipping over ground to help compensate for lower margins on shipping things overseas. NOL, facing these competitive pressures, sought an acquisition to help gain these economies of scale and survive in this new changing industry. In the late 1990s, they found a big one. In 1997, Neptune made a bid to acquire the 150-year-old American President Lines, or APL Limited. This Oakland-based company owned 10% of the Asian North American container business and would complement NOL's already strong Asian-European roots. The merger would be worth 825 million USD, the biggest acquisition ever by a Singaporean company. The combined company would have 113 ships, 80 of them container-style. The new company would generate $4 billion in revenues. Critically, from a strategic point of view, Purchasing APL would grant NOL access to prized U.S.-based logistic railway links and terminals. It would help NOL develop their vertically integrated logistics network worldwide. Luo Cheng Eng, Neptune's chief executive at the time, said about the merger, It will put both companies in a very much stronger position by combining their complementary strengths. It will be very cost-effective in terms of service and enhance levels of service to our customers. The merger was unfortunately timed, as a year later, the Asian financial crisis threw the entire shipping industry into a crippling down cycle. Shipping rates collapsed on routes across the Pacific and to Europe. NOL lost an immense amount of money through those years. From 1997 to 1998, the company lost 460 million USD and debt swelled to over $4 billion. The company had to write down a value of part of its acquisition and suffer from a longshoreman's lockout at U.S. West Coast ports. 
Lua vacated the CEO spot in 1999 but remained chairman. Fleming Jacobs, a former executive at Maersk, stepped in as the new CEO. The move shocked the shipping industry as Jacobs had risen to a very high level at Maersk, one of the world's biggest shipping companies. As an outsider, Jacobs had the leeway to remake NOL, and he took full advantage to bring the company in line with his vision. NOL issued $500 million of equity shares, diluting the current stockholders to pay down debt. And he sold assets including APL Rail subsidiary Stacktrain to Pacer International for $315 million. And he let go over a thousand employees, a tenth of the entire company. Many of the people cut came out of the US-based APL. But at the same time, he began bringing Westerners into NOL's upper ranks. To such an extent that the joke at the time went that NOL stood for No Orientals Left. In 2000, the company turned a profit of 178 million USD, has Trans-Pacific container rates rebounded, and the company's improved cost structure shone through. The turnaround seemed complete. As NOL entered the 2000s, the company sought to expand into the growing third-party logistics space. Jacobs wanted to position NOL as a big player in this area. This is the third of three steps we identified to take the company into the future. We have prepared ourselves for the third step, focusing on our logistics business. The company divested its tanker businesses and in 2001 established APL Logistics as a separate operating company for its third-party logistics efforts. And in 2001, they paid $210 million for GATX Logistics, one of the biggest logistics providers in the United States. The acquisition boosted APL Logistics revenues by 70% and gave it access to 21 million square feet of warehouse space across the Americas. But at the same time, it was a pretty penny to pay for a business that was hardly profitable. This purchase, along with the subsequent acquisition of German freight forwarder Mare Logistic and Spedition, which kind of sounds like a pair of Twitch streamers, seemed likely to have been an overpay. Then September 11th happened, and again the whole industry plunged into a massive downturn. Revenues at the liner business fell, despite shipping volumes going up. In the first half of 2002, the company lost $151 million, after closing 2001 with a loss of $57 million. In 2003, Jacobs lost his job as Neptune CEO. The losses were simply too much. Chairman Chung Wai Kong said that the board had felt that it was time for a change. In leaving before his contract was up, Jacobs received a $2.5 million USD severance payment. Jacobs had left, but the changes he made helped lay the foundation for a healthier company. And things turned around again in late 2003-2004 when economic growth and export demand in the United States surged. This drove up Trans-Pacific shipping rates, and in 2004, NOL turned a record $429 million USD profit. The company took advantage of this ray of sunshine to issue another $300 million in equity. Temasek felt so good about the company's prospects that they bought control of NOL, raising their stake from the high 20s to 53.5%. By this point, NOL had gone through two major financial crises within a five-year span. Both of them have led to big annual losses and company leadership resigning. But then just as quickly, economic conditions would turn around and the company would post a profit again. It seemed like the company had finally worked through its volatility and was moving towards a brighter future. But the company's up and down profits implied that it was tied closely, too closely perhaps, to the global business cycle. And that meant exposing itself to massive risk if things went bad for a very long time. 
Neptune on the surface was a top 15 shipping company, but below the line, there were serious problems. The company positioned itself as a premier legacy operator charging premium prices. This is in contrast with companies like Singapore Airlines, which offered premium services at a relatively low cost. NOL constantly suffered from capital shortage. Like foundries, ships require a lot of cash up front. When times were good in the 2004-2007 time period, NOL did not sell equity to raise cash and try to make do with what they had. Selling shares would have diluted current shareholders, including the majority owner, Temasek. But without that cash, they could not invest in larger, more profitable ships, and they had to take measures that saved capital in the short run, but also presented long-term risks. During the economic boom in the run-up to the 2008 financial crisis, NOL chartered other people's ships rather than building up their own to scale up faster and take advantage of favorable conditions. And as long as the market was good, that was fine. But when the financial crisis struck in 2008, everything turned around. Demand in the container supply business crashed six points from 2007, which was a boom year, to 2008, and then another 15 points from 2008 to 2009. Container freight rates dropped by 33%. Every shipping company lost money. Maersk lost $2.1 billion in 2009. South Korea's Hanjin lost $1.1 billion. NOL lost $700 million and had to dilute shareholders in a $1 billion share raise. The shares of all the liners crashed over 60% from the 2007 peak. Despite the lower freight rates, NOL still had the same cost structure as during the boom years because the rates for these chartered ships had been locked in for years. The losses and a botched acquisition bid for German line Hapag Lloyd would cost then-CEO Thomas Held his job, continuing a string of short-term CEOs. 2010 saw a brief resurgence and a small profit, but Neptune then saw losses for the next four years afterwards. The losses meant that they could not find the money to buy new and bigger ships when the prices for them were cheap. Leading liner Maersk ordered 20 18,000 20-foot equivalent unit ships in 2011. Prices for those ships continued to fall into 2015 when Evergreen bought 11 such ships, each for $35 million less than what Maersk paid in 2011. Over the next four years, Neptune cut costs by returning chartered ships to their owners, taking their high costs off the books, but also missing out on potential business. In other words, giving up what little market share they had in order to get back to profitability. Over 60% of shipping costs are fixed and cannot be changed on short notice. So the shipping business is all about economies of scale, bigger boats. Without those bigger boats, Neptune does not have the cost structure to compete. Its shrunken stock already removed from the benchmark Straight Times Index. Thus, in 2015, the company positioned itself for a sale. They sold their APL logistics unit to Japan's Kinetsu World Express for 1.2 billion USD in February. They cut their order book to nothing, at one time the only top 10 shipping line without a pipeline of new future ships. All of this to slim down the business and make it more amenable for an acquirer to integrate into their operations. The writing was on the wall, and in December 2015, some six years after the sale of Chartered Semiconductor to Global Foundries, NOL was sold to French operator CMA CGM for 2.4 billion USD. The price reflected a mix of priorities. 2.4 billion was a, a slight discount to the total book value of NOL's assets, which based on this data seems to be around $3 billion. 
but the discount is in consideration of the company's long history of operating losses while taking into account the value of NOL's prize routes in Asia and to the United States. So all in all, a good price. Furthermore, CMA agreed to move a third of its traffic out of Malaysia to Singapore and agreed to relocate its regional headquarters from Hong Kong to Singapore. Doing this would help cushion the economic blow to the country. Now, I have seen a lot of people pointing to NOL afterwards turning a $26 million profit in the first quarter of 2017, its first since 2011. On the surface, it seems like a damning indictment of incompetent management. But the reality is a bit more complicated. The core liner division had been showing improvement all the way back to 2015, with a mere $11 million loss in Q2. Consolidating NOL into its French parent would alone remove more than enough fixed costs to bring it to profitability. CMA also sold off its APO container terminals and other assets to raise a billion dollars. Furthermore, the shipping company underwent a brutal 2016. South Korea's biggest shipping line, Hanjing Shipping, filed for bankruptcy and creditors got just two cents on the dollar. It took a lot of capacity out of the market, and along with a booming economy, allowed for a massive 2017 rebound. But focusing on whether or not NOL could have made a $26 million profit by itself, though, I think misses the main point. Probably the only way out for NOL, after the fall of the shipping conferences and the deregulation, was billions more of investment dollars for ships and scale. Taiwan's Evergreen Group, which started at the same time as NOL, ordered 11 boats in 2015. Each of those 11 costs about $130 million USD. But Evergreen Group also had a profitable domestic shipping market, an expanding electronics export business, and diversified business lines, like Eva Air, to fall back on. I don't think NOL could have raised money on that scale to match without government help. For NOL to get those billions, it needed to turn to the government purse. And by 2015, people in government were realizing that NOL did not mean as much to the country anymore. Back in the 60s and 70s, Singapore wanted to have a shipping line of its own in order to make sure that its manufacturing goods exports can be carried to its trading partners. They made it a strategic priority. But things are different now. The shipping business is much harder to run. China and Malaysia are looking for their own seat at the table. The shipping cartels that looked after everyone are now gone. But at the same time, securing shipping capacity is today a whole lot easier. Over the decades, Singapore's economy has shifted to more of a services, life sciences, and high-tech manufacturing economy. Temasek still owns companies that shine in those industries, DBS Group, Singtel, and Singapore Airlines, the jewel in the crown. The way I see it, Temasek would have made the decision even if NOL went green for a while. They knew that NOL could not compete, and so they made the best move they could. Give it to someone who can do something with it, and move on with their real priorities. Alright everyone, that's it for tonight, thanks for watching. If you want more content, you can like and subscribe to the channel, I would like it if you did. Or check out the Patreon if you want to support the work and watch any of their early access videos. Want to send me an email? Drop me a line at john.asianometry.com. I love getting letters from viewers. Until next time, I'll see you guys later.